COP28 is around the corner and there are many moving pieces building on what we would term as success. Uh, on the first episode, we spoke about youth engagement in the climate policy space. And in this episode, we just want to have a chat, a chat about what the climate crisis looks like from a lived experience perspective. And if you're listening to this podcast series for the first time, it is an exciting collaboration with the Loss and Damage Youth Coalition with the aim of elevating voices of frontline communities in the Loss and Damage Finance Now campaign with a special focus on African members to share their views on climate change, politics for a wider general public. And here at Halihewa Podcast, we are proud to bring to you a platform where you can hear from African experts and climate leaders and activists. And in this episode, I'll be speaking to you. Uh, welcome, Lamis. It's lovely to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you for having us today. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity and I'm looking forward for this conversation. Great. So um, I'll invite you to just introduce yourself. Tell us what you do and yeah. We would love to know. Okay, uh, my name is Lamisa Khatib. I'm an urban policy specialist. I also um, research coordinator and project lead for the Lost and Damaged Youth Coalition. I'm currently working on a policy brief uh, for the upcoming COP. And I'm also uh, environmental futures with climate change graduate from the University of Essex in the UK and a British Council of Green Scholar. Um, I'm also the national focal point of UNIFI and um, yeah, that's everything related to climate at the moment that I'm doing. Um, of course, you have quite uh, an extensive experience in the space and you've even mentioned you're working on a policy brief ahead of COP28 and I'm curious to know, have you always wanted to be in the space and what really motivated you to want to do things to do with climate, environment, etc.? Hmm. So my journey towards advocating for climate justice began during my studies in environmental architecture and urbanism. We were the first group to graduate from that program. Uh, as I'm already from, uh, I'm originally from Cairo, Egypt. So this program was uh, at Ancient University there. Uh, it was then that I gained a deep appreciation for the important relationship between human settlements and environment. And then in 2021, I got the scholarship for um, great scholarships for sustainable futures uh, from the British Council. Mm -hmm. And then I, I moved to the UK to continue my studies. Uh, and that's when I got this master's in environmental futures with climate change at the University of Essex. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, the climate connection program that was associated with this scholarship was kind of the step a significant step forward uh, for me joining the climate change um, advocacy and like having this passion for climate justice. And um, it deepened my understanding of climate governance and urban sustainability. Also like representing the green scholars at the Global Knowledge Exchange event and being part of the Voices for Climate campaign and being recognized as an environmental policy pioneer were all opportunities that allowed me to amplify, to amplify uh, my advocacy for uh, climate justice. And uh, and yeah, this is my journey so far. Uh, it has been marked by continuous learning, collaboration, and commitment. And 
I'm looking forward to continuing this journey and excited and grateful and everything. <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, I like the fact that you said it's a continuous learning because for sure, uh, when we talk about climate policy, there's really never an end to it and you're constantly learning uh, from the new perspectives, from new conversations. And I love that that has been a journey for you. And of course, you've mentioned that you're originally from Egypt and and last year, everyone was calling Egypt an African COP. I mean, it was calling COP27 an African COP because it was being hosted in Egypt. And of course, it's not the first time that a COP was being hosted in Africa. And I remember even for myself and for the podcast, it actually came to life because of this particular COP. And I wanted to really bring African voices together to make sure that when you're going to COP27, we are going in one voice and our issues are well articulated. And on this forecast for me, I'll, something historical happened. I mean, the loss and damage fund has been had been pushed for, for a couple of years, but it was only at COP27 that it was agreed upon. And so what is your reflection on that particular milestone? Hmm. Okay. Uh, so hosting COP27 in Egypt was a really huge occasion, especially with the achievement of establishing the loss and damage fund um it was an important step toward addressing the impacts of climate change uh, on vulnerable communities because it recognized that some areas are already experiencing irreversible losses due to climate related events and um it's imperative to provide them with the support that they really need um however uh, it's important to, to acknowledge that while this was a significant milestone, there is still much more work to be done. Uh, the fund establishment is just the beginning. Like we need to do much, much more to uh, oper- to do the operationalization of this fund and like to allocate uh, this fund into the right place with the right people and also uh, to continue and build upon this foundation to ensure that re- the resources are allocated effectively and reach those who need them uh, the most. And also for the part for the global cooperation, it's extremely important to uh, enhance this um, for uh, the coordination to address the loss and damage comprehensively. Um, so yeah, the, the fund was extremely an important step for um, addressing losses and damages, but also like working on how this fund uh, would be mobilized is extremely important step moving forward to COP28 as well. I I mean, I completely agree with you. Uh, It's a significant step, but definitely a lot more needs to be done to actually fill that basket. And I'm sure our listeners, on the first episode, we indeed spoke about what loss and damage is, and I'm curious to know whether you have any personal experiences that you'd like to share or whether you have gone through it or people in your community have so that people get a better understanding of what loss and damage actually means and when we're calling for the funds to be channeled to the right people what do we actually mean um well, loss and damage in the context of uh, climate change refer- refers to uh, the irreversible impacts. I'm sorry about the noises. Uh, 
uh, in the context, as I said, in the context of climate change, uh, the irreversible impacts uh, of losses and damages are the the impacts that we cannot overcome moving forward that the communities and ecosystems experience due to extreme weather events like sea sea level rise uh, and other climate related disasters uh, it's a concept that might be uh, uh, unfamiliar to some but it if it, like it affects most of like the countries because of what is happening at the moment and uh, we can see it all around the world and while I may not have personal experiences uh, related to this part, but I have worked closely with communities in various regions, including Egypt, where the impacts of climate change are evident. Uh, like, for example, I've seen how rising temperature and changing weather patterns have affected agricultural practices, leading to uh, challenges for local farmers and their livelihoods. And also like water scarcity and increasing urbanization uh, pose significant challenges for vulnerable communities. Also, I have had the privilege of collaborating with colleagues and individuals who have shared their experiences in regions heavily impacted by climate change during my policy brief preparation. Uh, their stories highlight the urgency of addressing loss and damage and they face the reality of I'm sorry, of losing homes, uh, livelihoods, and sense of stability as well. Um, so these experiences honestly serve as a powerful reminders that climate change is a global challenge with very real and immediate consequences for communities worldwide. Um, it also shows the critical need for initiatives like the Loss and Damage Fund to support those most affected by these climate-induced losses. So I, I believe that this fund um, like should work efficiently towards these communities at, at different levels and scales around the world. And thank you for sharing that with us. And I think it gives the audience a better perspective of such lived experiences. And of course, you talked about your experience in the climate policy space and we are getting ready for COP28 that is happening in the UAE. And there'll be negotiations where countries are negotiating on various tracks. But on this today, we just want to have a look at the loss and damage. So when we talk about loss and damage fund or when, you know, they're going to negotiate on loss and damage, what exactly are we asking for uh, from your perspective and from the perspective of the work that you do? Uh, so for the negotiations, our primary ask regarding loss and damage finance is to make sure that it is prioritized as a critical component of climate action. Uh, we, we call decision makers to, first of all, allocate sufficient resources, uh, as we call for the allocation of substantial financial resources, specifically uh, designated for loss and damage. Uh, this funding should be accessible to the most vulnerable communities and nations that are disproportionately affected by climate-related disasters. Um, and they need to like understand how this allocation can be done efficiently as well. Like They have to find a mechanism for it. Uh, second thing is to establish a dedicated fund. Uh, we advocate for creating uh, a dedicated and separate financial mechanism specifically for loss and damage uh, 
Uh, this fund should be distinct from adaptation and mitigation funding to ensure that it addresses the unique challenges associated with the uh, the losses that these communities are uh, experiencing. Um, for that, we they also should prioritize the non-economic loss and damage part because it's like because of like we are talking always about the financial part, but there are also like hidden losses that we cannot see how they will um compensate for it. Like you can so, sometimes you cannot compensate for what is lost. So how they're gonna find other opportunities or like create other ways that these people can overcome what has happened to them. Uh, the third thing is the transparent and accountable mechanism. Uh, we emphasize the need of transparent and accountable mechanisms uh, to uh, utilize the the fund for loss and damage, because without transparency, people would never know like how can they reach the fund and how can this fund help them effect efficiently. So transparency here is a key. Also, community-centered approaches. Uh, we need to work in a more of a network kind of way instead of hierarch hierarchy so that this fund can be spread to the people who need it the most. Because if if this um, community-centered approach is not there, this fund will never reach the, the people who really need it. Also involved financial instruments. We encourage the exploration of innovative financial instruments such as uh, risk insurance, risk pooling, and other mechanisms like um, debt swaps as well, because the debts are really hindering all the the effort that is done uh, to overcome what is happening and like developing the countries already. Like it's taking a lot of effort and. Um, money while we didn't even participate in, in this crisis in, at the very beginning like this is something that we are currently experiencing but we cannot overcome because like the climate crisis um is you know like developing countries are trying their best to reach that position but then this that kind of thing is um, hindering it, uh, them back. So maybe that that's uh, another mechanism that we can discover, like the, the death swaps uh, to enhance the resilience of vulnerable communities as well. And, and the last thing is to support uh, capacity building. It is crucial to provide capacity building support to affected regions to enhance their ability to assess, address, and respond to loss and damage. Uh, overall, our ask is for a comprehensive and robust financial framework that recognizes the unique challenges posed by loss and damage. This framework should ensure that the communities most affected by climate-induced losses receive the support they need to adapt, recover, and build resilience in the face of an ever-changing climate. Thank you. Thank you. That's pretty extensive, and I, I feel like we just had a crash course on on the loss and damage. <laughs> Thank you so much that we've seen that much detail. And there's something that I probably meant to ask, but I didn't include was um those just the concluded MENA climate week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Were you part of it? Uh, I was representing the company I was working for. 
we are working mainly on urban development. So uh, we are tracking the developments done in the different cities in the Arab region to uh, help them enhance their efforts uh, with considering the environment and the climate as well. Uh, would, would you say there are any outcomes that captured your eye with regards to the conversation on climate justice and also loss and damage? Honestly, the thing that I concluded is that we have a huge issue with the data availability and accessibility that is hindering our progress regarding climate change and the adaptation methodologies that we are currently trying to uh, work with. So I believe that the policies for the data accessibility and availability should be improved for um, people who are affected to increase the transparency. As I said, the transparency is key. So to increase transparency, you have to have this accessibility and availability for data. And this is actually the, that the developing country lacks the most, and we need to work on this issue um, in like, like as soon as possible, because it's actually like the, the key for all the um, gaps in the policies and the actions that we are doing, because there is always like this gap between what we are trying to do, like these conversations, having this gap in policies and like the government actions and all, all of that with the actions done uh, on the ground on the community level. So if we can have this transparency and a mechanism for um, the data accessibility and availability from the government and the community that is like a two-way approach for this data to be available for both of them, then uh, the government would be able to take and inform decisions and the community can act faster than the normal. Um, and then we can really overcome this crisis. But without the data, honestly, I feel that this is the, the, the huge thing that is missing uh, from everyone. I think that's a really um quite the reflection, uh, and I think it's an important point to put across, even as we, you know, keep advocating for these particular issues. And finally, as we as we wrap up, um, of course, everyone now is talking about COP twenty eight and the very many issues that are coming up. What is your one ask to our leaders uh, as we go to COP twenty eight? What do you really want to see done differently this time around? I would like to ask them to take um, decisions that are best for the community and the, the countries that they are representing and uh, be bold enough to take decisions that might be hard to take at the moment, but will make a significant and different uh, future for everyone. So I guess this is this is my ask for them. Well, thank you so much. It was lovely having you on the podcast. You've definitely shared such gems and I believe it will be received very well by our audience. And, you know, thank you for taking your time to have this conversation. And yeah, have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to have this opportunity with you. It was lovely talking to you and I was excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much.